tennis, the world number two, Japan's Naomi Osaka, has been fined $15,000 and faces expulsion from the French Open for refusing to speak to the media. It comes after she expressed concerns last week that press conferences can be damaging to the mental health of athletes. This kind of started yesterday. Like yesterday, I just woke up and I was really depressed, but I don't know why. You got Gwen Berry protesting. You got Simone Biles quitting. Yeah, well, to bring the topic of mental health, I think it should be talked about a lot more, especially with athletes, because I know some of us are going through the same things and we're always told to push through it, but we're all a little bit older now and we could kind of speak for ourselves. But at the end of the day, we're not just entertainment, we're humans and there are things going on behind the scenes that we're also trying to juggle with as well. Welcome to the very first episode of the Blacklisted podcast with Shea Omanera. I am Shea Omanera, of course, and with me, Harlem Razor, St. John's Mater, and CBS Sports Taser. Took that right out of her social media profiles. I did not create that. That was all her. <laughs> name is Aisha Quinones. And I'm just want to make sure it got the last name for a pronounce right. We got you. You got it. You got it. All good. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Because, hey, I know a lot about ethnic names, so I got to make sure I got to get the pronunciations right. So exactly. how you been doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how you been doing? I know, like, we we both St. John's alumni, you know, so how you how you yeah. been since then? It's wow. I was just talking about this with a friend that um, it's crazy how we now say it's been 10 years since we started college. And I, I wait for real. Yo, yeah, it like, has. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so it's wild to even think about it in that way. And wow, I, I all I can say is that you know, but I've I've been pretty good. I can't complain. Life has been really leveling leveling up for me. So I'm just trying to, you know, keep grinding it out, keep a balance, and you know, do what I can do to just grow as a professional and grow as me as an individual. Definitely, definitely. So, wow, I just still can't believe it's really been 10 years. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you for making me feel old. Oh, my goodness. I, really... I had to share it because I was like, wow, it hit me. So I got I to gotta tell everybody that I went to school with now. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, how is working for CBS Sports as a senior editor? I know you uh, started out with Bleacher Report. So how is the transition? And I know, I mean, you're, you're currently in New York right now, but you apparently work in Florida. So how is the transitioning moving from the North to the South? Cause I kind of had it in reverse. Yeah. So it's been, um, it's been quite a great transition for me. Um, I always being from New York, I always wanted to move to South Florida. So, and then it, I spent four years at Bleacher Report and I was finishing up my uh, graduate program while I was there. And it just felt like, it was time for a change and it was time for me to move on to something different. And it just so happened that the opportunity with CBS sports opened up at a great time and the location was even greater. And it felt like everything just aligned perfectly for me. And yeah, I, I didn't have any issues whatsoever. Um, I stepped into a leadership role at CBS sports, which was something that I exactly wanted. So it all felt right. And 
um, from a location standpoint, from the position that I wanted, from just everything was new. And I, I love Florida. I love South Florida. I, I, I can't get enough of it. And I cannot wait to go back right now. <laughs> so, so I got, I got to, Oh, go keep ahead. going. I was about to say, I had a question for you about Florida, but if you had more to say go about ahead. that, keep going. Go okay. So, uh, did you have any like worries about moving to South Florida? Cause you know, you know, there's a lot of news about Florida, the Florida yeah. man stories yeah. and everything. So did you have any doubts, any worries before going to Florida? I honestly didn't because I felt like coming from New York, you pretty much are prepared for anything. So you're right about that. You, you just, I feel like coming, like if you come from New York, you'll be fine. So I, I felt that way, even though like people will be like, why do you want to move to South Florida? There's so many crazy things happening in South Florida. I'm just like, you all see where I come from. Do crazy things not happen in New York? So yeah, I wasn't worried whatsoever. It was just, um, pretty much trying to wrap my head around um southern life because I'm not used to it but it, it's not it's not that big of a deal for me because a lot of a lot of my friends were like yeah you're going to meet a lot of new yorkers in south florida which is true because a lot of new yorkers do move to south florida so it wasn't it wasn't as not saying as bad but it wasn't um too much of an adjustment for me so it's all been good for me all right. Uh, I mean, you're definitely right about that with New York, because moving from Georgia to New York for college, there was no day I could predict in New York. Right. No day I can predict. Everything was so random uh, to the people you meet on the subway, to the giant um, Master Splinter sized rats you'll see just walking through. Everything was just so random. I even met a witch in New York. See? Like, yeah. So everything was just so random crazy um people just walking up to you and randomly cussing at you you didn't even do nothing to them you're just minding so, your business and random things like random outbursts just happen it's just like yeah once you get to new york it's just there's it prepares you for everything in life basically <laughs> exactly what well, you are from my favorite place in new york harlem uh, so before before going to st john's one of my number one goals for going to St. John's, because I'm a huge basketball fan like you are, is Rucker Park. Yes. Growing up, I always heard stories about Rucker Park and everything. So I really wanted to go to St. John's. And one of my main things I wanted to see was Rucker Park. So I went to Harlem to see Rucker Park. Unfortunately, by the time I got there, Rucker Park wasn't like it, what, what it used to be, but just still right. being in that area of Frederick Douglass Boulevard, that area too, eating at Jacob's just became my favorite restaurant. I loved see? it. And it's, it's such a legendary area. And it's just like, and I feel you because I feel like once I got older to really like venture out over there, because when I was younger, my mom was very concerned and stuff like that. So like, I don't want you to rock her by yourself and things like that. So, and like, even to the point where I missed the huge Kobe at Rucker moment. And now I'll never forget that. <laughs> classic, classic. And it was just like, I... Once I got older to really like go out there by myself without her worrying, it was just like Rucker wasn't what it was and what we're used to like and, and like the legendary things that happened there. But forever, it will always be a legendary site in Harlem. So I, I totally get what you mean. And you did mention Kobe Bryant. One thing, knowing you, because uh, you were a sports management major at St. Sean's, that was my minor. So we had a couple of classes together. I remember you just being the biggest Kobe fan because you always wore all his apparel. I remember you had the shoes, if I 
remember, yep. but you had you had everything. Yeah, you had everything with Kobe. So you yeah, you were you were a huge Kobe fan. So yep. I had to put my Kobe painting. Shout out yep. to Cayman Sheriff who made the painting, but I had to put that Kobe painting in the background just for for this interview. Yes, I love it. Shout out to that for sure. So yeah, so definitely rest in peace, Kobe. So I guess we got to talk about the L.A. Lakers. This podcast is being recorded July 30th, so a day after the draft. How do you feel about the Russell Westbrook trade? I feel amazing. (laughs) That was the best news. I was working last night, and just getting that news before the draft even started was, like, the best energy booster. Because, like, anytime I have a draft night and I have to work, and I'm just like, just, like, ready to get it over with. Because we all know draft nights are really long. So to get something like that pertaining to my team, mm-hmm. I was just like, let's go. We, <laughs> this is exactly what I needed to hear. So I, I love it for the fact that I mm-hmm. knew it was in the works and um, that we're bringing him home. That's a great thing that I'm just like super yep. excited about. And I'm, I, my biggest thing is like health. I'm always thinking about the team staying healthy. So I really hope that AD stays health stays healthy because I would love to see how they all mesh together. And of course, like LeBron, I know he's getting older, so that health is a factor because we're we're also used to LeBron staying healthy for the most part in, in his career. So even like this past season was kind of off-putting because we're not used to him like being sidelined due to an injury. Like usually he'll come right back. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. But yeah, if they all can stay healthy, I I don't want to hear any noise from anybody. <laughs> I'm very excited to see how it all comes together. I was ready to ask you, you're not worried about a two three zone? Cause I looked at that team now and I'm like, uh Russell Westbrook at point guard. Yeah, that's a that's a two three zone right there. That's all I'm playing. Listen, we I I'm just I'm just like, yo, can we start the season now? <laughs> are ready to see it so I mean with time it it'll all come together how it needs to be and I know the Lakers like they make the necessary adjustments if needed so I I know just like they they just need to recover because I know the start of this past season was very quick from the championship that they won last season so yeah I will tell with time like I said we'll see I mean, yeah, uh, main thing is AD just has to stay healthy because that's just been like the problem of his whole career. LeBron is getting older. He is 36 at the end of the day. And yeah, I mean, look, I hope Kyle Kuzma, I don't know how you feel about Kyle Kuzma because I know Laker Nation don't really like him anymore, but I hope he does good in Washington because I feel like he is good. He just didn't have the confidence. Yeah, and I feel like he... <laughs> I don't know. I, I was always on the fence about Kuzma because Kuzma is the type of guy that can just like give you a good game here and there and just like shoot lights out. And then next thing you know, it's just like, all right, Kuzma, what are you doing? So <laughs> it's just, it, it's give or take with him. But I, I do hope he has a great career watched it for however long he is there. So, I mean, <laughs> All I can say, he's he's not any of the Lakers' worries anymore. So <laughs> I'm just excited to see um, what happens with Because, I mean, I know we gave up Kuzma. We gave up KCP. We gave yep. up Torres, um, a first-rounder. So we, we, gave, we gave up a pretty hefty package. But I think it's worth it. 
hey, um, the team the team is primed to win a championship with LeBron, so you got to do whatever you got to do to win another championship. So, look, I guess all jokes aside with the 2-3 zone, I have no problem with the trade for the Lakers, but they yeah. definitely need some shooters. They definitely do yeah. need some shooters. Right, exactly. Because I'm going to be on my Syracuse against them. But let's oh. switch it <laughs> off to another topic. So I was talking about Kyle Kuzma and how I feel like he wasn't as confident in the playoffs, even Ben Simmons as well. I think a topic that's very understated is mental health in athletes. And I think that's just been the theme for throughout this week. I actually just watched the Naomi Osaka documentary just recently, and that was executive produced by Maverick Carter and LeBron James. And also we got Simone Biles in the news as well, withdrawing from the USA Gymnastics team citing mental health and she just recently said she had a case of the twisties i'm still not really as familiar with gymnastics terms but it's kind of like vertigo and well she described it as she couldn't tell from up and down and that she just wasn't all the way there physically and mentally so she had to withdraw she had a lot of criticism from many people saying that she quit on her team she's not mentally tough And I think how quick people to forget that she's a survivor of sexual assault. So uh, just asking you, how do you feel about what happened with both Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles? Yeah, um, I was actually, I just watched the Naomi Osaka um, docuseries about a week or so ago. And we all, we all, anybody familiar with Osaka knows how her personality is and how she's very soft-spoken and how she comes across. So, and you can tell that, like, she's very, like, you can get a sense that, like, social, like, she struggles with social anxiety. So, being a person that sometimes also struggles with social anxiety and just, like, trying to figure out a way to get through things day by day. And it's, like, even, it's, like, we're we're used to being around friends. We're used to being around family that know how we are and things of that nature. But it's just like when it comes to your work and just trying to figure out like, am I in a good mental space to get through these things? It's a lot. And I totally get where Naomi's coming from. I totally get where Simone Biles is coming from because I, I admittedly struggled with anxiety when I was working at Bleacher Report. So it was to the point where it was just like waking up every day and it's like your stomach is hurting. It's just like you're walking in thinking like, all right, if I do something wrong, it's like, am I going to get fired for it? It's just like always being walking on eggshells because you just never know. And the things that I even experienced at Bleach Report kind of like made my anxiety go through the roof. And so even though it's not in the same sense of like what Naomi and Simone go through in regards to the media it's just like it's also in the same sense of like what black women have to face when they are talking about their mental health and trying to get people to take it seriously and understand that we are struggling and it's bigger than like what we're doing this is actually something we need to just like take the time to just get ourselves together because at the end of the day, our health is what matters over everything. So to see people criticize them is, I frustrated is not even the word. It's just like, 
seeing people say, oh, Simone Biles is like putting her country to shame and things of that nature and just like constantly criticizing Naomi Osaka because, oh, we see her still working. We see her still doing these things and that it's just like, who are you all to say what somebody can and cannot do? It's you're not inside our heads. You're not inside of what we're dealing with. So I am thankful that they're actually putting themselves first because that's the last thing anybody needs to do is like still try to force themselves to work through these struggles. And it's a lot. It's a, it's a conversation that I feel like could go on for days, but I'm glad mental health is now being a part of the conversation consistently because it's something that does need to be taken more seriously. And it's something that needs to be spoken out about more and more each day so that people don't think that we're just like, just, you know, giving up or anything because giving up is not the case. It's just, we're trying to prioritize ourselves at the end of the day. So I, I completely get it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And with social anxiety, I feel like now with social media and just more outlets to express yourself, I'm glad for Naomi Osaka to release her own documentary, courtesy with LeBron James and Maverick Carter. Did you feel like that documentary kind of um, shown people what she was going through? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm glad that it came out when it did. I feel like it was a perfect timing because in light, it was right, like, right when she's in, right, I think she had just announced her break from everything, and just, like, I'm taking a step back, and so I think seeing that gave some people a greater sense of what she's experiencing, or, and then, of course, you have people that just still want to be hard-headed and just be like, all right, she's doing whatever, like, there's, there's always going to be that people who are still going to criticize no matter what, so I, I'm glad she was even open enough to let us into that because I honestly wasn't expecting that. I, I always expect Naomi to be like very private and very to herself, which she totally deserves. She works her ass off. And it's just, it's great to see that we got a, a look into her world and what, you know, her upbringing and everything you could possibly think of. And even like how um, the passing of Kobe affected her. And so, I'm not surprised that she has gotten to this point because I don't think she even got a chance to mentally recover from that. And the impact that he had on her career and on her life, I feel like even she, even after that um, transpired, she was still working. She was still doing tournaments. She was still like on the grind nonstop. So I think losing your mentor and just media attacking you or just always having something to say I'm glad that she's finally to a point where it's like, all right, full stop. I have to do what I have to do for me and just everything else can wait. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we got that docuseries for sure. For many ways, Naomi Osaka, she was being dubbed as the next Serena after she beat Serena in 2018, the U S open. She, she was well known among tennis fans, I know, or people who probably casually watched tennis before facing Serena. But after she beat Serena, she became a household name. So right. it went from having some media on her to having like a whole circus on her. So right. someone who's just not like not as social just probably didn't know how to deal with that. And then 
up. Then we seen her upbringing in the documentary. Her and her sister, Mar- Mario Saka, they were basically playing tennis since they were children. They didn't really have time to have a social life. They didn't have time to, they didn't even go to public school. They had to go to homeschool. So right. they weren't really prepared to handle all this media. And the fact that the media was trying to paint her as the next Serena in, in the way how they paint Serena, how they always painted Serena in a negative light back then when she was younger, how they always yeah. compared her to Mir- Maria Sharapova, which honestly, Serena should not be compared to Maria Sharapova. So <laughs> no, no question. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. So I'm I'm glad she was able to to put this out. And with uh social anxiety, I see her triggers were from being what from what she says, she felt like she was a vessel for everyone's hard work. So mm-hmm. I see that like in like my mind that when she turned pro at age 14 it wasn't that it wasn't that just her that turned pro it was everybody that was working with her that turned pro her her father that that trained her everybody around her, her other trainers i felt like all of them turned pro in her mind so when she loses she doesn't feel like she let herself down she let everybody else down yep and that's a big that's a big burden to carry because i know i know how she spoke about her mom and saying that seeing her mom struggle and not having places to stay and just things of that nature. She didn't want, she doesn't like, she works so hard for that fact because she doesn't ever want to see her family go through anything like that ever again, which I totally understand because it's like, I feel like a lot of us now are doing that. Like we're, we're trying to basically put our families on our backs. We're trying to like make sure our families don't struggle anymore. We're trying to make sure that we aren't repeating the same struggles that our families went through in this in the first place. So it's a lot to carry. And that's for pretty much like you said, like going through the media circus of her being like, and I, I hate to say it because it was mentioned in the docuseries, but it was like, I hate when people say overnight, overnight celebrity or overnight success. And it's just like, that's never the case. It's never an overnight success because it takes so many steps. It takes so much sacrifice. It takes so much everything to get to that point. And it's just like, just because a person blew up out of nowhere and people are just now recognizing all that hard work that they put in does not make them an overnight success. So for the media to just like pretty much be in her face, <laughs> full blown, it's, it's a lot to take on. And it's just like, it's a lot on her shoulders from a media standpoint, from a family standpoint, from everything. So it's, whew, I, I totally, I understand what she's going through. And even though it's just like, I, I'm not a tennis star, but you don't want to, you also don't want to deal with the, the comparisons either. To be compared to Serena is amazing, but it's just like, let Naomi be Naomi. Like I I'm really, I have to be honest, I'm very tired of like, especially like in the NBA finals where a lot of like people were like, oh, Devin Booker is the next Kobe. And it's just like, why can't we right. all just be ourselves? Like, it's fine to say this person was inspired by Kobe. It's fine to say this person is inspired by Serena. But at the end of the day, we're not 
trying to be anybody but ourselves. Like we're trying to build our own legacy. So I, I wish that was another thing the media would stop doing because it's it's a new era. It's a new generation for a reason. We're not here to be compared to anybody else but ourselves. So, yeah. Right. And I do want to get back to what you said. Uh, if you if you're don't mind me asking about how you were dealing with social anxiety at Bleacher Report, how how has your how has your social anxiety well how has it improved working in CBS Sports? How have you been handling it better? I will say location was has a great deal to do with that, and that was a huge reason why I wanted to leave New York. So. Um, when when a lot of people ask me, why do you want to move to South Florida? It's just like, you everybody knows. Like, you come to New York, it's a hustle and bustle, and it's just, like, always on go. Like, you always have to feel like you're doing something. There's never a down Everybody. Exactly. So If you walk slow, they'll push you out the way. Yeah, literally. <laughs> exactly. So it's just like that. And also being here all my life, I just, I was just like, uh, I'm so tired of feeling that way and me moving to a, a slower pace or just a pace that just felt better for me and just like different surroundings. Like you have actually have sunshine most of the time. You don't have to worry about winter. You don't have to worry about like, you know, just different climate factors. That was a huge part of that. And then from a work standpoint, that so far I've been at CBS for a year and a half now and from that standpoint has improved tremendously for me to not be as anxious as I was at Bleacher Report um because I'd say for the people I work with um my supervisor he has wholehearted faith in me and actually like all right I'm gonna let you do this and I trust you to follow through and I trust you to execute I trust you to plan it so having that trust and not being second guessed and not being condescending towards me or not being passive aggressive. It was just the breath of fresh air that I needed. So I say that because it was something that it was, it was a struggle at Bleacher Report, to be honest. And it was something that I spoke out about last June, I believe of all the struggles that I endured when I was there. And it just felt like I could never really grow without that trust. And it was just more frustrating to see everybody like around me get promotions, get raises. And it's like, I'm putting it all in this hard work and I've been here longer than some of the people sitting beside me and I'm not getting recognized for it. And so even trying to take the opportunities to learn from other people at Bleacher Report, it was just, always like getting reprimanded for for in odd ways and it was just like I felt like I was always having to look over my shoulder just like walk on eggshells for everything I did and I don't I don't have that problem anymore and I'm so thankful that I don't because even though the pandemic had a great deal to do with like how the change changes are us like working from home now and we're not in an office setting even though we're trying to get back to office setting but it's just, it all starts with how you treat people. And I think um, how my supervisor treats me now and how my teammates actually like trust me and communicate with me and not, you know, just 
not throwing jabs or not being like not feeling slighted by anything I feel like that has a great deal to do with how much better I feel mentally so I pray that doesn't change because I I am honestly in a good mental space in life right now from every aspect of my life and yeah I I thank South Florida and I thank CBS for it, um helping me get to that point well that's great I'm glad that you are in a good mental space and Hey, one thing I know from you being in school with you is that you definitely do work hard. That's why I can never get you on my radio show because you're always doing your internship. So you were always on the move. So look, I'm glad that you are in a good mental space and you got a job that trusts you to get the work done. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days, man. I used to be working like two, three internships at a time. I look back on it. I'm like, how did I, how did I even do any of this? Cause I don't get older. I'm just like, Oh, I'm tired. Like after I finish my shift, I'm just like, I'm ready to take a nap. And looking back at college me, wow. I was like really doing full, like full-time student work and man, I don't know, like doing the New York, the New York lifestyle. Yeah. It, it really, I think that's why I'm so tired now because college life just took all my energy. <laughs> a lot of people expect like, oh, you go to college partying and stuff. And it's like, I was not really partying like that. I was just working a lot. It, and that's what's made me washed up to this day. So <laughs> tell, tell me about it. Um, even just like for me now, I don't even care about living in a big city anymore. I felt like New York kind of had drained that away from me. So mm-hmm. I like living in the suburbs yep. in a more quiet area. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. But that's what I, I'm so glad. I'm like, I, I enjoy the peace and quiet of being in Florida. I enjoy like mm-hmm. being by the beach, clean beach to be exact. Because people are like, oh, you can go to the beach in New York. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't care to go to any beaches in New York. Like, I'm fine. So yeah, the, all the, it's just a drastic change that I definitely, definitely needed for sure. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> and I want to switch it up on this topic. Uh, oh, you're welcome. But I want to uh, switch it up on this topic with the documentary as well. That, of course, Naomi Osaka, she is Japanese and Haitian. <laughs> so she... Even in the documentary, she says she's basically has to deal with people saying that she's not black or that she's not black for representing Japan. And just being, even though I, even though I am African, I'm basically hundred percent black. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with people calling me not black. I'm African saying, cause I'm Nigerian. So they don't call me a black person or African American, even though I'm born here. And right. I believe, are you Puerto Rican? Are you yep. Puerto Rican? Yeah. So have you had to deal with people uh, speaking on your identity, seeing your last name or telling you you're not this, you're not that because of your heritage? Oh, man. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. It has been such a struggle. So fun fact that a lot of people don't know about me. I actually went to high school in North Carolina. So that was the biggest struggle for me because I'm so used to New York and everybody knows how much of a melting pot New York is. So like you go down the street and like you see Puerto Ricans, you see Dominicans, you see Panamanians, like you see everybody of all shades, everything. Like you don't question it because it's just how New York is. 
But going to North Carolina and people, it was a mixture of things that just did not make sense to me. And I constantly had to like get myself mentally in check for it. Was just like, all right. Like people would ask me like, where did your last name come from? Or like, where's the origin of your last name? I'm telling them, I'm like, it's a Puerto Rican name. And they're like, oh, you're too dark to be Puerto Rican. I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And they would be so adamant about it. Like, oh, Aisha's lying, talking about she's Puerto Rican and she's too, there's no Puerto Ricans that's dark skin or anything of that nature. I'm just like, all right, I'm not about to sit up here and prove myself and prove my heritage of to y'all because pretty much ignorant. Like it's just all, that's what it all boils down to. And it's just, it was so frustrating dealing with that. And it was like also being on top of the fact that I missed New York at that time. And I was like, I never had to deal with these things in New York. I don't have to ever hear about these type of situations. And then it's just also on top of the fact that I was, I'm like, I was from New York. So going to North Carolina and they're also talking about like, oh, you talk white or you act like this or you act like you're better than us because you're from New York. Now, you know me. I just, I am just who I am. I never like, I've never been the type of person that like sticks my nose up at people or looks down on people. Like I've just, that's never been my energy because I'm just like, I'm chill. I just do me. I'm just like here to just do what I can each day. And so that I don't want to say it was a reality check, but it was just like something I wasn't used to because I'm just like, all right, being around kids who constantly tease me because they don't think I'm Puerto Rican. They don't think I'm this, I'm that. I'm just like, all right, you all struggle with knowing the difference between ethnicity and race because that's, (laughs) this is what is like, you can still... I don't know. It it was just so annoying to deal with, but I'm glad we, hopefully those same kids have learned the difference and learned to see that there's Afro-Latinos that exist of all shades, of all kinds, and that they're not just light-skinned people. Like, we, we are here. We don't have to prove anything to anybody, so... Yeah, that was a struggle. That was quite a struggle. But I, I have to say it was a character builder for sure because now I'm glad I experienced it at an early age and got past it. And I'm just like, all right, coming back to New York and also being in Florida now, it's just like you don't have to deal with that either because there's a lot of Latino mm-hmm. people, a lot of Afro-Latino people in Florida as well. So I'm glad I'm, I have been in places now that are fully knowledgeable of that and fully accepting of not having to prove who you are because that oh man that was what a time (laughs) so of course i'm not afro-latino but just being african nigerian i can see at least a little bit of what you're talking about experience a little bit of what you've been through Mm -hmm. as in like being born in I being born in America, I was actually born in Fall River, Massachusetts. I don't know if you didn't know that, but yep. So yep. I only lived there for about oh yeah, okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that with all the Patriot stuff and everything. But yep. so I only been there for like this first seven years of my life. Then I moved to Georgia when I was yeah by like, and I went there for like first grade and then on. I've always been told that hey Shay, you are not black. You are African. You are Nigerian. 
because you talk this way, you act this way. And I just showed him my skin. I'm like, I'm still black at the end of the day. And I think that's just the problem with ethnicity and race. And I also feel like it's a problem with the name. I, um, They're talking about how Naomi Osaka is not accepted by the, by the black Americans because she elected Japan, that she's turning against them. I feel like an honest in an honest way that USA is not accepting of black Americans because the fact that the name is African American shows that they still don't say you're a hundred percent American. They have to put that label, but they don't put that label with other races. Right. Exactly. I totally agree. And that's why I stopped using the term African American because I was like, you're black. And it's just like I felt exactly what you said. I feel like the U.S. has still not gotten to a point, and who knows when the U.S. will ever get to a point of fully accepting Black people instead of having to turn turn the terminology to a certain way to be like, all right, it's this, it's that, it's that. It's just, it, it's always something. And, it, and it's something that um, I will say my supervisor asked me about at CBS. He was like, um... Do you prefer the term African American or do you prefer the term black? And that has been the first time I have ever been asked that question by anybody I was working with, especially a supervisor. And I was so incredibly appreciative that he even took the time to consider that because that's so rare. Like you don't ever like, especially coming from a white person, like I was not expecting him to ask me that. And it was just like, all right. These are the type of people who take the time to want to know what makes you comfortable and what do you want to move forward with as far as like, especially even like implementing into work. Casey was like, I want to make sure you're being considered and like being considered what you prefer. And I also want to make sure we're implementing this into like, you know, CBS articles or whatever the case may be. He was like, if we want to use the term black, I want to make sure that you're comfortable with it. And I want to make sure that you have an input or say so. And like, is this what we should move forward and say? And when it comes to like talking about people like Naomi Osaka or just talking about black athletes in general. So that that's a conversation that I also think could go on for days because it's just like it really all depends on like the people you come into contact with because some care and some are just like, all right we're still going to put this label on it and we don't care what you think. We don't care what your preference is whatsoever. Let's switch over to things with Simone Biles and Simone Biles, of course, like we just said earlier withdrew from the USA gymnastics and that she has a lot of criticism from people who are definitely, definitely haven't done gymnastics before saying that she's quitting on her team. She's quitting on the U S and the thing about, USA gymnastics thing about gymnastics in general is that it's it's as mental as it is physical Mm -hmm. that if you're just not all the way there mentally one slip up you can you can break a leg like literally so it's for her health that she withdraws and she just says that she already has the twisties so how do you feel about this whole Simone Biles situation and I also want to mention she's where she was the only identified member that was still participating that was a victim of Larry Nasser. Yeah, I I say you hit the nail on the head because I have a close friend of mine who 
um, was a former gymnast and hearing how demanding it is mentally, physically, emotionally from pretty much every aspect you can think of. I had no idea because like you hear it, like you hear it in the news, the news mill and it's just like you don't actually feel it until either you're going through it or you know somebody close to you that is like actually experiencing these things from a gymnast standpoint. So like just hearing her stories, I can totally sense what Simone Biles is experiencing herself because to survive through a soul and like trying to just, you, you don't know how long it takes people to even like heal from that. Cause like you could be, you could come off as fine and you know, all right, I'm on the game. Like I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that years later, but that's only on the surface. And it's like, you still don't know if that's mentally damaging somebody. You don't know if that's still like something that they struggle to even get past in their day by day. And I I totally sympathize with her because it's just like certain things women go through and we're supposed to be like, especially black women, like, like I mentioned before, like we're expected to just be fine and just like expected to just be oh you're a strong black woman so you can do it and just like and it's like we get to a point it's like I am tired of being labeled the strong black woman like I have a right to step down and like put myself first and put my mental health first and put everything about me first before anything else so it's something she's still very young and I'm glad she's noticing these things now. Just like you, and like you said, like being a gymnast, it takes a lot more than, it's like, it's more than just a physical thing. Like you have to be right in every way. And if she's not mentally there, I don't know what else this country expects. So for people to even come out and say, oh, she's letting the U.S. down. It's just like, you you want her to break bones in her body? Like you want her to, like get to a point where she physically can't perform anymore. So I'm glad she caught it at a time where she's like, all right, I have enough self-awareness to step away before she, you know, damages herself even more from a, a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, because it you don't ever want to get to a point where it's too late. And so I applaud her and I hope she's able to block out the noise, which I know is a lot, but it's it at the end of the day it like I said it all comes down to you and it all comes down to what you need most because these these people they don't they don't know the preparation they don't know what goes into it and I, I say this for every every sport boy for especially with gymnasts like a lot of people have too much nerve <laughs> to come out and criticize and say this and say that about a person it's just like all right well why don't you do it why don't you see how it feels like and knowing goodness well that they would never they would never even get past a day in the life of what it takes to be a gymnast so yeah once I hope she's thinking about it in that way that it's like you can never be in Simone Biles shoes and I think she knows that but it's just like I hope she's not letting all of this criticism get to her and she's just I hope she's healing well day by day so armchair quarterbacks are in every sport every sport they're on every profession 
yep. not just football. Armchair quarterbacks are everywhere. And we didn't even mention that she has also had to pass a kidney stone. And it's not that she failed USA Gymnastics. USA Gymnastics failed her because they've been protecting uh, Larry Nasser for over 10 years before he got convicted. Yep. And she is still performing for USA Gymnastics. So what's going through her mind with that? And that she wasn't speaking, um, performing for USA Gymnastics. She didn't say a word about it against USA Gymnastics. She used to try to go about her business, but she probably realized she couldn't anymore. And she also had to do an extra year of preparation since Olympics got pushed back a year because of COVID. So she's been going through a lot. Some things that she shouldn't even have to mention. Right. I, we should have been shocked that she was even performing anyways. But I, it's it goes back to Naomi Osaka um, thing, the explanation where she says she feels like she's a vessel for everyone's hard work. I think for Simone Biles is that she's already the best gymnast ever for, for USA. So yeah. she has that expectation that she has to perform for USA. So USA could be at a high level. So USA could win the gold that if she doesn't perform for them, she's laying down the whole country. Yep. And that's another conversation too, that a lot of, a lot of women and this goes to like this can even go into like other industries as well as we blatantly see a lot of these days now with the Me Too movement. It's just like women surviving assault, but it's just like the lengths that the media goes like goes to or just like in general, like to protect these men instead of protecting the actual victim. And it makes it so much harder for women to even like want to feel the want to feel comfortable to even come out with their stories because it's just like I I feel this wholeheartedly because there's like certain things I experienced too and it's just like if I say something will anything be done and it it's sad that you even have to even think about it that way because it's just like why like people question it people like oh is she telling the truth or is like such and such is she just coming out here just to like put down somebody and it's just like why is that even a question like why is that even being said why is that the first reaction so for for her to even like be brave enough to come out with that and but just still see him like it's a lot because it's it, you just see so many times that the men or the actual abuser is the one being protected and being saved their job. Like nothing is at risk. And it's just like, wow, this is, this is what we're living in. And like, we're, we're not protecting women. We're not giving them a safe space to even feel as if they're secure to say what they have to say and secure to know that they're going to be fine. And, can move on from this because there ha there hasn't been any like situation where we we where we feel that way. So it's I can only imagine like how Simone Bowles feels because to like, to go through that and to go through the physical hardships, to go through the mental hardships, to go through the animal of the media. It's just it's so much and. Just like you said with Naomi Osaka too, like being a vessel to those around her. It, it's just for both of them. I don't even know. I can honestly say I would not survive. <laughs> like I could not do it. <laughs> it's just like, even like 
on a day to day of just little old me doing what I'm doing. It's a struggle in itself to just like mentally get myself together. So to see people on their level and seeing how huge of an athlete they both are, whew, they they deserve all the praise because I don't know how they can even like move forward and just be like, all right, I'm still going to push through. I'm still going to play my sport. Because honestly speaking, I honestly think I would just quit. I'd be like, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. It's just so many pieces that just come into play. And it's just like, at the end of the day, they just want to, they just want to be athletes. They just want to do what they love without all the extra playing a factor into it. And it's just like, you can't, they can't really help that all of this is coming into play because unfortunately that comes up, that comes with the deal. So it's, it's hard. I know it's hard for them for sure. You said uh, you can't imagine what they're going through, but I feel like we could draw parallels from their lives to our lives, which is why I feel like the Naomi Osaka documentary was created and how you went through high school uh, being Puerto Rican and being dark skinned and how you grew up with that. Same with Naomi Osaka being someone who's Japanese and black. We don't see as too often in in like sports in athletes. I mean, Rui Hachimura is the only one I can think of right now who is also Japanese and black. So we could draw a parallel. So I feel like it is important to relate to like what you've gone through in your life as a black woman to see what they've gone through their lives as black women. So to close it out, I do want to ask you, have you played any sports back then? I know you're a basketball fan, so I figured, did you play some basketball or anything or not? <laughs> That's the funniest part, because a lot of people be like, how did you get into sports? Because a lot of people assume that I played sports because I'm such a huge sports fan. At any time I answer this question, I'd be like, no, I'm a horrible athlete. And any time I <laughs> You sure? Nah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're a real hooper. I'm pretty sure you are. You got the got the Kobe's and everything. You got to be a hooper. You got to be a trash. secret hooper. <laughs> I am so trash at playing sports. I, listen, nobody ever wants to see me on a court. And I, I mean that, like, literally. Yeah, because she's going to cross you up. That's what she meant no. by that. No. That's what she meant. Like, when I say, like, usually people say that, be like, oh, you don't want to see me on the court because they're good. I say it because I'm really bad. So, like, I'm trash at basketball. I, I will say the one sport I was really good at was softball. So that was probably the only sport I could. I was decent, but not nah, anything else. Trash. And I, I was like, let me just stick to what I know. So me not being an athlete, I was like, I don't know how to get into sports. And my family was a huge part of me, like, figuring it out. Because I was like, oh, well, there's other lanes you could take. You don't have to, like, be an athlete and actually, you know, like, transition over. Like, you can just, like, go to school, like, sport management and just figure out, like, what you want to do. And I just took it from there. I enrolled in St. John's, did the sport management journalism program. And I was like, yeah, writing about it, talking about it, like uh, the media lanes where I wanted to take it. So I was like, found, I found my niche. So yeah, even though I was an athlete, I, I found my spot in this world and I'm so glad that I have. And now I'm actually in a spot where I want to 
transition out of the media um aspect of it but that's a conversation we'll save for another day because i want to i want to surprise you all when i do make it happen because i i want to i want to say early 2022 it'll all come together so it's a process but i'm gonna i'm gonna save it on a cliffhanger for everybody okay little teaser for the world premiere i appreciate that on this show so uh i also wanted to ask you just one more question about this, about your experience with NABJ. You didn't mention that yet, but I want to know what your experience is with NABJ. Oh, I love NABJ. Um, it's my favorite time of the year, every year. And I didn't get a chance to do it last year, of course, due, the, due to the pandemic. And it was forced to be virtual. Um, I am making my return to NABJ this year, which is still going to be virtual. So I'm not sure. I'm not too not too um enthusiastic about it being virtual but i, I know we kind of have no choice because the virus is still up and around and everything so it's going to be different for me but i say i started going to nabj was it 2017 i want to say um i think 2017 was my first year and it was in new orleans and i did the two years after that which was detroit and miami and each time it's just such a humbling experience because this is like, I remember being these college kids looking for the opportunity and looking for like the perfect chance to talk to somebody and just let, like, just have the chance for somebody to just hear me out and get advice and actually like take me seriously instead of be like, hi and bye. Like we don't get anywhere like that. So NHBJ was a chance for me to like actually open my eyes. It's like, wow, you're in the position that you wanted to be in. Like you are now that person that could actually change the direction of somebody's career. And that's a blessing that I don't take lightly whatsoever. So I really, I, I can't wait for the day that NABJ goes back to being in person because I feel like that connection isn't the same virtually and you can't really like get a sense of that person's um you know energy and how dedicated they are to like being a part of whatever company that you're working for being dedicated to whatever passion that they have to be in sports or whatever area that they're looking to get into so i i love it and it's just each year it teaches me it teaches me something different about myself and it also gives me a chance to just like something that I love to always say, be a blessing. You have to be a blessing in order to receive blessings. So I I'm, I'm excited. I, it's going to be new for me to do it virtual this year, but um, I'm willing to take up the challenge of see how we can still change careers and hopefully help students and just help people in general to make their um, career, career goals come true. So we shall see. Dope, dope. Yeah, de- definitely looking forward to it. I do need to come to one of the conventions eventually. So I I need to make my my first appearance. So uh, hopefully this platform takes off so I could have like a little portfolio to show. And they're like, yeah. hey, you were my first guest. Yes, that'll be amazing. See, we got to we gotta build on it. We, that's what I'm saying. It's only the beginning. We like, we're just getting started. Definitely, definitely. So uh, Aisha, great Great interview. Great interview. Enjoyed having you. Haven't talked to you since St. John's, it seems like. So yeah, um, is there any way we can follow you? 
Yes. Um, I am on Twitter, on Instagram at B Quinones. It is B E Q U I N O N E S. And um, I'm trying to think of you can find me on LinkedIn if anybody happens to want to connect on a professional level. Um, definitely jobs always come up at CBS Sports if anybody's interested. You can find me Aisha Quinones at my name on LinkedIn and just um, what else? I'm trying to, I feel like there's so many social media platforms I can't keep up anymore, but those are the main ones. (laughs) Those are the main ones that I um, use. So Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, I can be found there. So yeah, I'm open and willing to connect with anybody. You also find her on the basketball courts because she'll (laughs) cross you up. And she also throws a 95 mile per hour fastball as well, since she got that softball background as well. So you want to hit her up on the athletic side too? Like you want to see what she's working with? Listen, I might be it might be a little Aaron Judge making here and there, but you know. Okay. Other than that, listen, don't don't let him lie to you, y'all. I'm trashing everything else. Okay, she said <laughs> she said she'll knock it out of Yankee Stadium. That's what she said. Facts, okay. Facts. I was built for All this, right. So that's the only thing I can I can brag on a little bit. But other than that, nah, trash everything else. <laughs> All right. Well guess we go closing on that one um appreciate you having you on this is the blacklisted podcast with shay omanera she's aisha quinones and we will see y'all later appreciate you aisha later thank you for having me i wish i could give her a hug because i know what it's like like i said i've been in those positions we have different personalities um and people are different not everyone is the same um i'm thick you know, other people are thin. So um, everyone is different and everyone handles things differently. So, you know, you just have to let her handle it the way she wants to in the best way that she thinks she can. And um, that's the only thing I can I say. I think about. she's It's really hard to talk about. Can. I just feel like, I don't know. I don't mean to cry, but it's just, it's hard coming here for an organization and, having had them feel this so many times. And we we had one gold. We've done everything that they asked us for, even when we didn't want to, and they couldn't do one damn job. You had one job. You literally had one job, and you couldn't protect us.